Welcome to the first episode of Network Automation Hangout. This is audio-only casual discussion about network automation with the community, recorded live on the platform Dogecast TV every week on Thursdays at 6 p.m. Central European Time, 12 p.m. Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific. Today on the panel we have Roman Dodin, John McGovern, Carl Montanari, as well as myself, Dmitry Figel. All right, let's start with uh, this short introduction. So I will start. I'm Dmitry. I am network automation architect at Cisco, and I like like doing network automation in Python. Um, Roman, you're next. Yeah, my name is Roman. Uh, you can find me on Twitter as ntdvps, which is NetDevOps without vowels. I work for Nokia Systems Engineer, and I also kind of Yeah, fascinating with network automation and all things that can be automated in our sphere. Next to John, I guess. Thank you, Roman. John. Hey, I'm John. Um, my name is IPV0 on Twitter and on YouTube. I am a trainer for CBT Nuggets, and I have an interest in network automation and more generally just networking. Um, I'm probably the least qualified here, so that's okay. <laughs> um, but yeah. I'm mostly interested in Python at the moment, so that's my main interest. Perfect. Thank you, John. Carl. Oh Lord. Uh, yeah, Carl Montanari. Um, I don't have anything uh, fancy to say. I'm uh, also wider, wider Dimitri. Uh, my, that's my creative name for the day. That's all I got. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Thank you, Carl. Well, he's uh, he's just shy. He's developer of Scrapply library and Scrapply Netmiko and Scrapply CFG and Scrapply Replay, and I ask him to add features that he doesn't want to add, and he always hates me because of it. It's true. This is this is a fact. And eventually, Scrapply go. I swear, Roman. I will build it. I swear. Let's hope he will hold you around. <laughs> Right. You said Scrapply Netmiko is this official name for that? That was a, that was a terrible Freudian slip. Yeah. yeah. Oh, did I say <laughs> that? <laughs> okay, Scrapply I'm Netmiko. sorry. I will yeah, just yeah. delete myself from this shot. Uh, I mentioned. Yeah. I definitely met Scrapply Netcon here. Um, that's recorded and is definitely not getting published now. <laughs> it's definitely. <laughs> okay, folks. Uh, again. If you have anyone from listeners any kind of a question regarding our today's topic, which is network automation Python, just feel free to to ask it in the chat or request to speak and ask it. Meanwhile, I guess we'll just uh, share what we are working on, uh, any interesting projects going on in our life. Uh, Roman, why don't we start with you? I I saw you had some interesting stuff going on on Twitter recently. Yeah, why not? I think my my last passion was something that is called Container Lab, and um, this is the project that kind of tries to solve a uh, problem of bringing up labs easily on any Linux kind of VM. Because what we have what we have done recently within our team is that we used to use GNS3 or even G, or even uh, bespoke Bash scripts that use Verge or something like that. And we noticed that this thing doesn't really yeah, play play well in the cloud native stuff that we started to work more in the in the past days. 
So that is why we started to look into what can we do to create container-based labs, use DevOps-ish approach to networking labs. And that is basically how Container Lab was, was born and founded. Yeah, if you folks want to, to look into this, you can go to containerlab.srlinux.dev. That is the documentation portal for this tool. And uh, yeah, you can you can knock yourself out and try this thing because I think it's quite interesting approach to 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 the networking labs. It's kind of I would say fresh view on how can you deploy labs using containers, and it doesn't mean that you only limited by the containerized network operating systems, because we integrated VR NetLab project and that allows you to to use regular VMs inside the container packaging. So you can have all your IOSs, EOSs, and Juniper VM access along the way. So that was my that was my passion recently. But before that, I, I you maybe I'm not the right audience for that talk because I do not do Python anymore as as much as I did before. So I'm now in the Go camp. But that that might be also interesting to discuss within this talk. All right. Thank you, Ramon. I'm I'm super interested actually in container lab. Um, I think it's 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 a good idea. Um, I haven't tried any kind of routers in containers yet, but it just sounds like a good idea to have it declaratively defined in the file and then be be able to spin up, up and down very easily. Um, so just a quick announcement on this one. So some of you may know that I stream on Twitch kind of regularly. Uh, we will have a stream with Roman in one of the upcoming weeks, so stay tuned for that. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so exclusive announcement right here on Deutsch House. Um, Alright, John, why don't you go next? What, what are you working on? Tell us some secrets. Some secrets? Yes. Um, well, I'm actually really looking forward to trying um, container Labs by Roman. I, I saw that on Twitter last week or a few days ago, and honestly, I think it looks excellent. So I'm quite excited to check that out. I'll be checking that out in about two weeks' time because right now, I don't know how many people actually know, but I'm also a university student. So I'm kind of working and doing university stuff, and I'm also kind of tied in right now doing my final report, which is basically building a CI/CD pipeline to configure <clears throat> kind of small network about eight nodes. 10 nodes over Netcon from building that out right now. So that's taking up all my time because I need to do a lot of writing. Once I get that done, I'll have more free time to explore. So I'm being pretty boring right now. I've probably noticed I'm not quite as active on Twitter as I usually am. So I'm doing that just now and I'm also being recording stuff for CBT Nuggets. I just did a, a skill on Netconf, which is going through like subtree filtering, XPath filtering, um different RPCs, edit config, all that stuff. And using Dimitri's method, which is no ginger, the magic sauce, um, I also covered that. So pretty much keep myself busy with university and recording stuff and still trying to um, satisfy my curiosity by doing all my crazy labs and checking out all the new technology. But the problem is there's just too much stuff to actually check out. So I'm getting there, but I'm keeping myself busy. All right. Um... Thank, thank you, John. I have actually a question for you. Do you have, uh, can you announce an upcoming skill that you're working on for CBT Nuggets or it's kind of not possible at the moment? Well, I don't have 
well, upcoming skills, I've got ones kind of planned out. One that's going to be coming up in about two weeks' time is deploying VXLAN um, automated. Another one is deploying Layer 3 MPLS VPNs over NetConf. And I'm also going to be doing a full CICD pipeline deployment because it kind of made, made sense because effectively with university, I'm having to build it anyway. So I've pretty much been labbing it up pretty recently. So it's all fresh in my memory. So I'll be recording that because that actually is quite a quite a common request I tend to find. People want to know how to build the pipeline, how to put all the parts together because it seems to me at least that um, people can go on to Cisco DevNet but the thing is kind of built for them. They can go through these labs, but I think they want to know how do you actually install everything from scratch? So that's the kind of plan is to actually go through that. Um, after that, I'm looking at creating a simple Python course, which is going to be kind of network automation focused, purely teaching Python concepts. Because when you do my course right now, I'm going to assume you know what a loop is. I'm going to assume that you know what a function is, a method type of thing. But I also want to be able to teach these kind of simple Python topics, not the complex stuff, but a simple Python topic from a networking kind of perspective. So that's also coming up. But yeah, there's lots of ideas I've got, but um, I'm sure you'll see them pretty soon. All right. Sounds good. Scrappy CFG, please. Scrappy CFG is definitely happening. Don't worry. Okay. <laughs> it has to work then. <laughs> well, it better work. It does. It, does, it works. Okay. okay yeah. Okay, Carl, what, what are you working on? Uh, I, I think an alcohol problem at the moment. I'm trying to figure out this net comp issue, <laughs> to be honest. It's, it's, not, it's not going well. Uh, uh, no, I, I, I've been, well, I was hoping to just do some, like, housekeeping. On, like, so, like, Scrapply got ridiculous because there's, like, five libraries now or, you know, repos and then there used to be the transports and all this and so like trying to keep things consistent has been kind of a pain in the ass and so i've been trying to manage that better get docs better and all that kind of thing but then there's this uh issue with netconf on nxos boxes when the payload is really 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 gigantic like a couple hundred thousand lines uh and i'm trying to fix it for the system transport which is like kind of basically a wrapper around bin ssh um, so it's kind of janky, but it's everywhere. It's most places, and it's very convenient. And you get like full open SSH support, which is why I like it. Um, but yeah, anyway, so like add a couple hundred thousand lines. Like the, there's this kind of some vendored code from PQI uh, process, which is like part of PXpect, um, and it just there's like a buffered R buffered read write pair uh, object in there, and it just like decides to stop reading or writing and then the connection like the decorator that wraps everything eventually just times everything out which is like that part's right the decorator is doing what it's supposed to do but obviously it shouldn't just be like hanging <laughs> on writing and it seems like there's no like it happens at you know sending end bytes or whatever it's like variable so it's, it's been very fun to troubleshoot so yes that's that's my current uh, pulling my hair out situation Hey Carl, I have a question for you, if you yeah. if I may. So since you have quite popular leaves or projects, and uh, have you ever received an external contribution that you were kind of bedazzled of, you didn't expect it to come, and then somebody out of the blue commits something really cool? Has it happened to you ever with Scrapply or 
any other projects that you run? Uh, there hasn't, to be honest, there hasn't been a lot of contributions to any of them. The, the cool thing is like Scrap the Community um, has a couple and that's been pretty cool because you know, like I have only so many types of boxes that I'm interacting with on a day-to-day -day basis. So uh, I don't really have the energy or the access or the reason to add kind of different platform supports to Scrap League. So that's been pretty cool. Um, I'm actually looking right now. I don't know if there's been, I think maybe Dimitri contributed to Scrapply.com, but I think it's really been uh, not Dimitri actually, recently said it was only five lines. So that's yeah. Not <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and, how, and how many personal cool questions you received? Because I think the the ratio is not in favor of contributors, right? You, I, I believe you have lots of DMs asking about Scrapply things, and it's like a lot. Yeah, yeah, it's it's definitely more. Uh, yeah, there's there's definitely not a lot of contributors. I'm looking at uh, like the GitHub graphs right now. There's there's really pretty much it's just me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I wish the community was was more, you know, giving back as well because I think that's that's the beauty of it. Because when I started Container Lab, that that thing happened to me. I didn't know that I would I would have so many great positive feedback. And that was like our second project that we launched within our team after the GNMI client. And GNMI client is kind of complex, so we, 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 we didn't really envision that somebody will contribute something because GNMI on its own is quite, quite a new thing and there are not a lot of expertise in the field. But with Container Lab, that was great to receive some contributions back and uh, things like feedbacks, what, what do we want to have more? I, uh, that, that's really nice about the community. I love that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I actually want to, I need to test out Container Labs too, because I, so I, I've used VRNet Lab for like everything for like several, I don't, I don't know, maybe a couple years now. Um, but what I didn't want to do, or, or the problem I ran into with the, with VRNet Lab is the kind of the SOCAT magic on the container. Um, so like if I wanted to do streaming telemetry out of a container, that was harder or maybe impossible. I don't, I don't actually know. I never like tried that hard, but it, it was obvious. It was not like obviously simple. Um, and I built like a big hackintosh with just tons of memory and stuff. So I was like, well, it'd be really nice to just run stuff natively. So I, I kind of just ripped everything out and just was using Chemio uh, to run stuff native on my Mac, uh, or hack or whatever you want to call it. Uh, but then obviously there's no KVM, so that sucks. But then I found out there's uh, there's an Intel project, Haxum, which is kind of like a drop-in KVM replacement. Um, and then there's also HVF, which is like the Mac version. Um, so I've got all of the, the devices I test Scrapply against, except for NXOS accelerated on a Mac, like just natively no containers, which is kind of cool. Uh, so it might be worth trying to figure out if that could be part of Container Labs too. I wouldn't really fit the name because there's no container anymore, but it might be useful for some people that you know don't want to have the, the container over, you know, I mean, not like as much overhead, but just don't want to deal with that part of it for whatever reason, like for, for you know, me, because I want access out of the, the, the router or whatever, um, or just want to run it natively on the Mac. Uh, could be interesting. Yeah, that is quite disappointing on a Mac trying to run Linux containers and yeah. Yeah, see all these all these bumps and uh, corners that you need to to cut. That's not cool. 
Therefore, I, I try to use Linux VMs whenever I can, and Mac is basically my typing machine, which is crazy. Yeah, yeah. Well, so HVF works. Um, I'd have to go look, but like between HVF and Axum, uh, iOS XR runs accelerated, uh, EOS runs fine, iOS XE runs fine, and VSRX runs fine. It's just MXOS, it'll run, but without acceleration, so it's like heinously slow. <laughs> but it does work, so it's like good enough for, for me at least. Um, but yeah, so it, you know, but yeah, there's a lot of rough edges to, to kind of iron out, which sucks. Right, we have uh, one person from the audience who wants to join us. Hey, Papri, you're you're with us. Just on mute. Hi, uh, just a question. Can you can you hear me? Yep. Yeah. Yeah, a question for question for Carl. I didn't have a chance to test yet Scraply, um, because I, I have a you know scripts already created in a different. Um, um, you know, connectivity method. So what is Scraply offering that, let's say, NetMiko or Napalm uh, doesn't do? Yeah. Um, well, I would basically choose Scraply. Yeah, yeah. Good question. Uh, so the, the, there's some, like, really big or obvious things, like if you want async I.O., uh, Scraply, there's there's NetDev out there kind of floating in the world, but I don't think that's really been updated Um recently. Um, so if you want async IO, Scraply gives you that, which is which is nice. Um, there's also Scraply NetConf, which gives you kind of the same look and feel uh, between regular Telnet SSH and also NetConf. Um, there's a boatload of testing, everything strictly typed, which is nice um, for like IDE auto support, you know, or like IntelliSense kind of you know, highlighting and stuff like that, uh, which is really cool. Um, there's the SSH too. So the Scraply is kind of like a sort of a framework-y type thing. And, and there's plugins for different transports. Um, so there's the async SSH for the async side of things. Uh, there's also a, like a custom built async telnet client that I built. Um, and then there's, of course, Paramico, which is kind of the, the least loved plugin. Um, but it, it works. It's there. Um, and then Dimitri's favorite is the SSH2 Python uh, plugin, which is basically... Uh, a really thin wrapper around the SSH2. Uh, so it's basically doing SSH and C, which is obviously fast. Um, so that's pretty much going to be the fastest you're going to get in Python land um, in terms of like an actual SSH client goes. Um, then there's also kind of some more recent stuff, Scraply, CFG, config, whatever, uh, which is uh, basically accepts Scraply connections and then does config management things. So kind of like Napalm, um, just without any of the getters. Uh, and then there's Scraply Replay, which is really intended to, to make testing Scraply stuff easier. Uh, if you've done anything with like HTTPX or requests and you've used the BCRPy uh, library to, to write tests, it basically kind of wraps your HTTP requests and like records sessions. Um, and then in subsequent tests, you don't actually need to connect to the, the thing that you were connecting to because it just basically replays that session back. Um, and then make sure you know all of your code kind of around it is doing what it's supposed to do, and then you write your tests to you know assert whatever you've got to assert. Um, Scraply replay basically is that, uh, but for Scraply connections. So you know it's intended to just kind of make testing all of your Scraply stuff a lot lot easier because now you don't have to mock or patch or do any kind of complicated stuff yourself. Um, yeah, I mean obviously I'm biased. I think Scraply is pretty good. So I could probably talk for a while, but I'd say... Can, you, uh, can you, sorry for interrupting, can you plug yeah. uh, Scraply uh, within Nornir as a connectivity yeah. Yeah, option? Yeah, there's a, there's a Nornir plugin. 
Um, and actually, the Nornier uh, plugin for Scrapply covers Scrapply, Scrapply.conf, and in develop branch right now, uh, Scrapply CFG. Um, so you can do all of that with a single plugin, which is kind of nice. And you mentioned async IO. Like, what's the what's the trick behind async IO? Like, what does it give you? I didn't play yet with this. Let's yeah, let's uh, let's park this topic, folks, for just a little bit. Like, because I I, I think I think IO is on itself is a little bit yeah. uh, more complex topic. Um, I will add on what Carl said because I I replaced Netmiko in all of my in all of my scripts. So like I don't right now I don't have a single single project uh, where I'm using other libraries, SSH connectivity libraries, so I'm using only Scrapply everywhere. Uh, besides things like async.io, um, there, there were two other things. First was, uh, and folks, if you also could mute yourself while you're not talking. Um, okay. So uh, one of the most important things for me was reliability in terms of uh, finding prompt. Uh, so if you ever use any kind of other libraries um, and especially in threads where you have like random timeouts, let's say you're connected to 100 devices at the same time, with some other popular library I had a lot of issues where it would timeout finding the prompt. Um, and that was kind of annoying, like I had to work around that in many instances and like tune some timers. Scrapply itself works a, a little bit differently. It, it has like a constant loop that it will always always look for prompt. It's not timer-based, so it instantly just switching to that library, it, my code became more reliable. And then there are some other benefits in terms of like user experience. So instead of let's say just getting a string, you would get you would get like a response object on which you can perform different operations like parsing or maybe something else. Um, so yeah, I I am I am in much favor uh, towards Scrapply, even though I'm not maintaining it. So yeah, I recommend to check it out for everyone. Um, Papri, will you answer your question about the singer in just just a moment? Do you have uh, anything more you would like to ask? No, no, that is fine. Thank you. I will uh, mute now. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Asyncio. You know what? I will start with John. John, I'm putting you on the spot here since uh, since you're just starting this journey. Tell me why. Why would you want to do this to yourself and learn it? The main reason why I'm learning AsyncIO is because Dimitri is bullying me to learn it. Okay. It's true. It's true. He does that. I have no idea what you're talking about. We live in a free country, no? At novel. Like I say, I'm a total, total novice on Async.io. I'm not the person to be asking. Dimitri and Caro, and I'm assuming Roman as well, knows a lot more about it. But what I've at least experienced is that it's very, very fast. Um, and Dimitri was, Dimitri's better to describe this, but he was really kind of sold me on it when he discussed how he handles connections with it. Effectively, he just holds the connection open, which keeps the kind of pipe open, and he's always just interacting it, interacting with it. Um, and it just seems like a really good, efficient way to use. It, it seems to be, at least in my opinion, from what I'm hearing, it sounds like it's actually really well suited for networking devices, actually. And I don't really see a lot of implementation. I mean, that's the one thing. Dimitri was telling me, you know, 
you've got to go and learn async.io. Um, so what I did was I googled um, async.io network automation, and I think the only thing I could find was tweets from him and um, his uh, YouTube stream. So there doesn't seem to be much stuff on it. Um, but speaking to Carol, speaking to Dimitri, it does seem like there's a lot of potential there, even though it still is very kind of immature in the network, well, in the networking space. But as for the technical details, apart from performance, I think that's better dealt with by um, the other members. So, Dimitri, I'll hand it over to you. All right. So, we kind of need to look at the history of like Python development. Um, so, one of the one of the issues. <laughs> Oh my god, when I look at this nickname, Carl, I just, just can't stop myself from laughing. Um, so there was like development on Python Async.io standard library started maybe like five years ago or so. And the main reason the reason why, uh, why the devs uh, started to work on it was to optimize uh, program interaction and simplify it when we have to deal with external resources um, for example like database query and stuff like that where majority of the time you uh, when when majority of the time you actually not really running the code itself but you are waiting on a response from the network or from uh, or from like other external system okay I will just accept you in a second here once I finish talking um, and it's like waiting on something to happen from an external system. It's actually the basis of any kind of network automation. Um, let's say compared to even databases or something, usually you wait for responses for your net from your network devices so much longer. So it just fits the paradigm really well where we are just waiting on something. So this is one thing. And second thing, the way it was designed, it has much more um, explicit uh, explicit markings of any kind of input-output, if that makes sense, which allows you to build a little bit easier programs. Now, with that kind of stuff, you actually have some interesting capabilities that you, have, you can have. For example, let's say if you're building some kind of web application with Asyncio, uh, you can... Uh, actually store all connections open directly on your web worker if that's what you want to do and then just directly uh, uh, well directly interact with the device through that open connection you can't really do that uh, you can't really do that in the uh, if you are not using async.io that well because otherwise in the web you would need to have like web, uh, web workers or something like that and then you have, let's say, when we're talking about like threads, um, the overhead of threads is much higher than just spinning up additional async tasks. So really, uh, it's the reason I think I was created to simplify any kind of waiting on I/O programs, and this is what we do in any kind of network automation. So that's the main reason why I think it's a big deal. Uh, Roman. Carl, do you have anything to add here? I guess Carl is the best person to answer that because I do not use Python as much as I did. So, and that is, yeah, that is purely context of the Python. Yep. So Carl, please, can you shed some light? 
Sorry, I apparently like booted myself out of the room like an idiot, but I think I'm back. Uh, no, I mean, I think that covers it. I, yeah, just not having to deal with threads, like weirdly timing things out very easily. It's been shockingly useful, um, which has been kind of, kind of a surprise to me. I figured it would just all be like, okay, more efficient. I know that's great. Um, but it just kind of enables things to be written nicer in a lot in a lot of ways um i don't know like for for like the public stuff i'm doing it's all um sync and async and i'm just providing the same api um for either thing uh, so that way you can kind of pick and choose whatever you know, suits suits your need but for everything for for work stuff all i do is async things um just because but since you mentioned so easy yeah, sorry for interruption. Since you mentioned that your Scrapty API basically, yeah, it can accept sync and async interfaces, why would one want to go back to sync synchronous ones if async is so much better? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. That's a good question. I mean, it's like, I guess, I, I, I kind of think like for the async stuff, there was a, a steep but short learning curve to get like over the initial hump, if that makes any sense. Like at first, async was very confusing. Like you read the doc and say, oh, you just put in the weight in front of stuff. And and I guess to consume Scrabbly, that really kind of is all you have to do. To write it, it was a little different, a little more complicated than that, obviously. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I tend to just do the sync stuff if I'm like just checking something really quick or if I just drop into a REPL and then, you know, do synchronous stuff. And that's, that's whatever, because it's just easy and fast. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I would think, or I do think that async is kind of the way to go. But if you're just connecting with one device, I guess it's just one less thing to worry about. Just do it synchronous and, you know, who cares? But for anything with scale uh, or you know, lots of connections, I pretty much just do async all day for everything. Cool. I can, I can add um, why would I still use sync? And I've spoken to Dimitri about this. Is it the reason why, even though I see the benefit of async, the reason why I still use synchronous Scrapple is because, <clears throat> excuse me, for things like Nornir, because Nornir, at least for me, I'm not the most advanced Python guy, to be honest, I mean, clearly. Nornir gives you an easy abstraction over your inventory. So by using that, you cannot are forced to go the sync way because it doesn't support Nornir's thread and it's not about async. So my choice is, is I can go full async, but I lose my inventory. I need to build it all myself. That to me is a lot of overhead. Um, Nornir has some cool features whereby you've got, like, say, F filter and stuff. So I still like to have that because, like, say, someone like Carol. Carol's very advanced as a developer. He would have no problem being able to write an inventory quite reliably and stuff. Me, myself, I'm not quite so comfortable. So at least at the stage I'm at just now, um, I would still use Sync for that very reason. But obviously I'm trying to explore async more, but that's at least my reasoning behind it. Roma, answering your question, it's it's a tough one. It's uh, like, I guess the most correct answer for this, there wouldn't be any any valid reason, I think, to move back to sync once you you're async all the things. But there are problems. The biggest problem is ecosystem, right? Where if you move to async IO, it really poisons your whole code base, where you almost have to use almost because there are there are ways not to but you almost have to switch to all async based libraries and for some of the things you might not have once and then 
it becomes extremely painful to deal with this stuff. Uh, for example, for a long time we didn't have any kind of a SyncIO netconf library, uh, which was which was pain. So like you wanted in your inter in application interact uh, to a network device via netconf via some like high level library, and up until recently you really couldn't unless you wanted to write your own like abstraction netconf layer on top of SSH. So stuff like that. So it could be that for the system that you want to interact with, using the protocol that you want to interact with, there is really no ecosystem support. And then you have to either write it on lower level that you want to, or you just switch back to sync. And then another thing is that the learning curve curve itself, it's, it's just not that easy for people to start with. So that adds to the, adds to the equation and not in the not doesn't like add doesn't simplify life for for beginners either, and then we have stuff like say like Nornia, which currently doesn't support the sync or some other some other stuff, so it's it's weird I guess. Yeah, makes sense. Thanks. Right. Uh, there was an interesting comment which I want to expand on and bring it as a topic, uh, which was. Uh, I think Govil, so the comment in chat was, I think Govil eliminate Python in the future. Go is faster and simpler. Uh, so, Roman, let's start with you. You're a big Go fan. So, do you think that is, what, what do you think on that uh, in, from the, like, from network automation perspective? Do you think that is going to happen? Um, what, what, yeah, what are your thoughts on that? I think that that question was raised multiple times in the couple of years. Yeah, just when when the goes started to go uphill in the uptake in the audience. But I guess since I do not have a crystal ball, I can't really predict will it eliminate Python in the network automation sphere. What I do feel right now is that still Python dominates network automation, specifically. When we talk about the network automation, the classic network automation, when we when we have the uh, routing vendors producing devices which support quite quite uh, old interfaces and netconf and GNMI is just you know it's not everywhere, so they they are not ubiquitous. In that sense, there are a lot of Python cool projects that can help you with automation, and you can do a lot of stuff much quicker than you would do with Go. So if you take Go, for example, and you want to go and explore NetConf uh, as a protocol, if you if you run NetConf on your devices, and that's your management protocol, yeah, you can kiss goodbye your productivity because all the libs that you have, they are not really mature. Some of them are left unmaintained. And you will be quite on your own because the community for NetConf libraries in Go, uh, you, you, you wish they, they were better. When it goes to CLI scraping, it's even more disappointing. There is no NetMico in Go. There is no Scrapple in Go. So if you need to fire up some commands to whatever device, be it iOS or whatever, you would need to do all the parsing and uh, prompt uh, sensing and all that stuff, which is not really a nice thing to work on. You, you need to be quite, yeah, yeah, quite, I would say, you have you need to have a lot of time to spend to get to the same level, and yeah, that's that's clearly not everybody has it. 
So I guess if you go outside of this space of the network automation, you move more to CNCF landscape. That's where Go shines. And I guess that's why a lot of folks look into it. Whenever you leave the classical network automation sphere and move into the cloud, that's where things get interesting for Go. But as far as the routers are concerned, I'm I'm not really a fanboy of Go here. I would pretty much use Scraply or whatever, right? NC client or anything that 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 is Python based and would be much more efficient. So that's my take on it. I don't know, guys, what you feel about it. Thank you, Roman. Carl, you're next. Oh, Lordy. Yeah, I, mean, I don't know if I have enough uh, Go experience to have smart words. Like, I mean, obviously, Roman's living that, and I've only kind of dabbled, I guess. Um, but yeah, I mean, just from, from what I've seen, from what I've seen at work, like the, the ecosystem for kind of traditional network things is not there. Um, traditional legacy, <laughs> whatever you want to call it. Um, so yeah, I, I definitely still plan on writing Scrapply Go, mostly just selfishly so I can get better at Go, get competent there. Um, and then maybe that would change things a little bit, at least on the, the legacy side. But uh, I've been threatening to do that for like six months and I haven't got it done yet. So uh, <laughs> we'll see. No, there is a working prototype. I just haven't shared with anyone. <laughs> yeah, to me, I think that if you would do that, that would be a really great aid for network automation folks who are starting their way in Go. I see in the chat a few mentions for Juniper Go NetConf and Go Expect. Yeah, these two libraries, they do exist, but they do not solve the same problems that Scraply or NC Client or Scraply NetConf do. So if you look at the number of issues that Go NetConf has, and if you track the way these issues are handled, you will smell something. And that's basically first thing that I look into when I when I meet a library. So I go and check if it's really maintained. If you see a lot of pull requests with no comments, that doesn't really that doesn't really seem good, right. That means that nobody is really working on it. And if you want to enhance something, people usually will do a fork, and then other people will do another fork, and then lots of good changes. They are spread all over the place and Basically, you do not know which fork to take into. So I guess that's that's what what's bad about the uh, Juniper's Go NetCon. I wish it were better, but that things are where they are. Yeah, I don't know if we uh, just just telling on the Go stuff. The the one thing I've been thinking a lot about, um, like packaging in Python, is I mean, it's fine if you're you're in it. But being able to package this, sorry, totally like not related, but <laughs> um, it would be very nice to be able to just give people compiled binaries instead of having to deal with you know, virtual environments and all that. So I think that's definitely uh, another thing that I want to get into the Go side of things more for. Yeah, I wish you would you would do that. That would be <laughs> that would be my that would be my choice of of a tool for configuring all the stuff that I have. Yeah, I, so I, I built like a prototype of Scrabbly. And then over winter break or like Christmas break, whatever, I uh, did like a massive refactoring of Scrabbly that was basically kind of influenced by the stuff that I wrote in Go. Cause I, well, like my, the Go Scrabbly stuff I started writing was really bad cause it was kind of like porting Python one-to-one into Go. So obviously not like super smart, um, <laughs> but I realized 
through that, there was some things I could do better in the Python uh, side of things. And so there was kind of a big refactoring. Uh, but yeah, so now after that, I, I kind of think I have a better uh, idea or vision or, or, or whatever you want to say of like how to actually implement Scrabbly and Go in a cleaner, nicer way. So my, my goal is to um, build Scrapply and Go and then also Scrapply and Go just, be, just for myself and if people use it, that's great. But um, so we'll see, we'll see how long that'll take me to get to, but I, I definitely have that. It's, it's definitely high on my to-do list. Cool. And then once you do it, Carl, you, you will no longer do anything for Python. Hey, Carl, can you re review this Python pull request? No, I'm I'm not doing Python anymore. <laughs> nope, nope, sorry. <laughs> no routines or die. <laughs> John, do you have any opinions on on Go for network automation? Um, well, I've got no experience with Go. My understanding of it is that Go is very, very good for performance. Um, it seems to outstrip Python by a large margin, from what I hear. Will it overtake Python? I don't think so with the next few years, purely because of Python has a big community. Um, one of the things which I think keeps Python popular is the amount of available tools. And a big thing, in my opinion, is having a lot of like online examples where you can just kind of copy and paste somebody's work and work on it and kind of make your own thing. I can't really seem to find much by way of examples for that of Go. So I think it would take a few years for maybe tools like Scrapply Go um, to really kind of mature and fill out the kind of ecosystem. I think if that filled out and then we would have more people scripting within Go, we'd have more examples. And I think then maybe the performance benefits could be that it could become the number one choice over Python. I could actually see that. But I think it would take a few years. Um, it seems to be, at least in my opinion, people who are using Go it seems to be more kind of advanced people who are operating on larger networks who really are chasing performance to the max and they're kind of suffering things like what Roman was saying, you need sometimes maybe if you don't have a, a correct SSH client, you can't just, you know, you're dealing with with uh, prompts and all this stuff and it just seems like for the average user right now, it's just too immature for network automation. Cloud, I have no idea about. I think that's probably a different story altogether. But I can see it. I can see it getting more popular in the years to come, but for the next few years, I still think Python will be the main focus, in my opinion, anyway. Yeah, I have I have similar opinion. Uh, even though my Go experience is very, very little, um, I do like some of the things that it offers, like like performance and also single binary. Uh, that's, that's just pretty cool, because packaging Python applications is just pain. And distributing that is just nothing but pain and doing that in go is so much easier but yeah like network automation ecosystem for that is close to non-existent and it's just sad um, so i don't honestly i don't think it will overcome at all python um, mainly because python continues to become very popular language very easy to learn language and like, I don't think that is going to change, really. So, um, I do think that some of the people who are more advanced will start looking to go at some point and maybe will start having some kind of ecosystem, like maybe Scrapply Go or something similar to that. Uh, there is no near Go, by the way. 
well, go not Norgin, go Goringer, right? So maybe, like, there will be ecosystem, and then some folks who really understand why they would want to use Go will start looking into that direction. But I still don't think it's going to be a majority of uh, network automation folks doing that. But I guess we'll see. Do you have any other opinions on this topic from the from our listeners? If you want, I can. Uh, you can join us and share your opinion with us. Alright, um, there, there was another topic that uh, while we were discussing things, I was just just writing writing them down, some of the interesting things that were mentioned. Uh, we kind of touched upon like some of the pain points with Python regarding installation, regarding distribution. Uh, John, why don't you share with us what kind of questions you see from uh, from people just starting out in this space and uh, what kind of problems they encounter, let's say, when they're starting learning Python, uh, they probably reach out to you a lot. Do you mean just generally with learning Python? Up to you. I, I, I think I think BOSS is a fair game. Like, in general, what what type <clears throat> of questions are being asked for, like, network automation and then regarding to Python? Um... The most common one really is where do I start? Some people come in and they they really have um no real kind of direction as to how to get anywhere. Um, it's just it's very kind of what you would expect. People give me a good recommendation. Where what should I? What book should I read? And um, what video should I watch? How can I do this? It's just it's very kind of it's almost a, a generic thing whereby it's anyone wanting to learn a new skill. There's nothing really particular that I've found about Python that's any different in that sense. It just seems that I think that a lot of people are all, they're kind of drowning in information because it seems like there's just too much stuff to learn now. Um, people find out that they need to learn networking and they also think they need to be a full-time developer, which is a completely separate job. It's a full-time job and they also need to think they've got to be really good at all the DevOps tools and they've got to understand cloud and it's just like people to me are kind of drowning so when they come to me they pretty much ask for direction where do i go i'm kind of blown in the wind um i've been told to learn a million things where should i put my first step first um so i just kind of try to gauge out what is um your interest if your interest is more in traditional networking then i would suggest get really good at traditional networking i think if that's what you enjoy don't think that you've got to become an absolute Python developer. Maybe you can learn a little bit of scripting. Maybe you can learn how to parse data and stuff, which can make your job easier. But um, I don't know. It's that kind of thing. It seems to be most people are struggling with direction. And I think that is a function of there almost being a kind of tidal wave, um, almost of marketing, really. You've got to learn all these different things. And I just feel like it's almost a little bit too much for people who are just beginning. That's just my kind of general take from people who speak to me. All right, thank you, John. Uh, Moik, you were trying to join us. If you could do that again, and then I could promote you. All right, uh, Carl, what what do you think on uh, regarding people starting in network automation and starting learning Python? Like, yeah, where, yes. where they should, <laughs> yes, yes. Should they start? Where they should start? Yeah, I mean, I guess it really depends on a lot of things. I feel like for a lot of people looking at Basic stuff like that Nico and Scrambly seems like a reasonable place to start. Um, 
just, you know, depend, but it de totally depends on your environment, I guess, and, and what kind of boxes you're dealing with and stuff. Um, but for, you know, I think a, a good slice of the, the world, you're probably looking at, you know, dealing with SSH for, for a bunch of things, or maybe <laughs> Telnet in some cases. So I think dealing with that and getting into those kind of things and learning just the basics of kind of how to deal with, you know, crappy walls of text from devices seems like a reasonable place. So then you just kind of branch out from there. Um, I don't know. I guess I'd kind of echo one of the things John said about like, there seems like a, a, a perception that everybody needs to be doing network automation. And I don't really necessarily think I agree with that. I think uh, having some fluency in, in development stuff, whether it's Python or Go or something else, is absolutely useful and everybody could use that skill set. But I think, you know, I would rather be good at one thing than average at two things, I guess. Like I don't claim to be a network person anymore, even though you know, I did CCIE, like whatever, like I used to know networking and I don't claim to know it now. Um, so I guess I would just say, learn, learn what you need to get some fluency, but you know, unless you're really kind of interested in doing like a career switch to that, I think uh, you don't need to go like totally ham. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. All right. Thank you, Carl. Roman, what do you think? Uh, you mean well, where do we start if you want to learn Python? No, no, not necessarily. If people should start learning network automation, and if they do, where would you advise them to, to do so? Well, I guess right now there are so many courses, blogs, whatever. The information is basically everywhere. You can start with the basics if you want to just dive specifically into the network automation. There are tons of courses, both of both on CBT Nuggets and elsewhere. So there is no shortage in that. I guess if you want to find anything on the topic of using Python with whatever vendor, it's there. So just 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 Google it, and you will find all the information. The question that I would pose to, to somebody who wants to dive into the network automation would be rather, do they want to go into this sphere? Do they want to specifically focus on the network automation or do they just want to have additional skill set and they would want to you know continue doing the network ops or uh, design or whatever? Because what I see within the teams that work with me is that not everybody wants to go full full-blown network automation. Because I think that's a separate, like, it's a profession. You you go into the network automation and you do not uh, do any networking stuff anymore as much as you did. That's what I feel. And I, when I see people moving into the network automation full-time, they start to have their networking skills deteriorating. And that's happened to me. I also, like Carl said, I used to know how to do, how to do stuff on the networking gear. I do not know almost anything anymore because that's that that network emission stuff consumes a lot of time that's a separate domain and when do you want to go full full-blown network automation or do you want to mix and match your networking skills with it i guess that's an interesting question i don't know dimitri how about you do you still maintain your networking guru skills or you start to lose them uh i will answer that in a second uh, thank you for your input, Roman. We have we have two folks who want to join our discussions. So oh yeah, exactly, them. exactly. 
Yes, so now we have multiple vendors available and all of them have basically a Python support for the network automation. So what do you feel, how, how do you see the network automation in the future and what should we learn more about network automation? So let's say we have basic understanding of uh, Python or uh, Go for that matter to SSH or connect to a, a vendor box. So what should be the future skills we should acquire? How the network automation will be in the future? Thanks. Thank you for your question. I, I guess I will take uh, take this uh, first and then focus on the panel can can uh, share their opinions. Uh, yeah, I, I think first, first is just even with basic SSH to different vendors using libraries like Scrapply and then having some kind of uh, some kind of way to do that simultaneously with something like knowing your maybe you can build it yourself doesn't really matter will already get you get you to a decent point like as a starting point and then I would definitely start looking into more advanced well not necessarily more advanced but modern APIs uh, like netconf like restconf like gnmi uh, to have that kind of automation taken to the next level in terms of reliability and performance and some of the features um, because there are things that you can do with those protocols that you can't really do uh, with any kind of CLI based interaction so that is one direction second direction I think uh, is uh, start learning about web a little bit more um, both, I guess, well, at least some kind of backend, but maybe frontend too, uh, to be able to for others, for other folks to consume your automation. So it's I, I've seen this a number of times where people they build something, some kind of scripts, and they are useful. Uh, they they seem to work. They seem to work and perform the function they are supposed to do, but uh, it's really hard for others to start using them too because this entry point of people installing python installing all of the dependencies and all that kind of stuff is uh, is kind of painful and if they stumble upon some kind of roadblock and they're not motivated enough they will just give up at that point so but by packaging your application in some kind of app uh it's it just uh, simplifies that user experience so much and as, uh, lowers that entry barrier so much so people who are not even uh, well, programmers really or any kind of engineers really can start consuming automation so this is another another direction I would start developing myself uh, what what are other people on, on the panel think about agree yeah <laughs> <laughs> I, I think testing if you're gonna go down the automation route, I think uh, testing is the, the next thing after you have some basic familiarity, because if it's not tested, it shouldn't be a product, I think. And uh, yeah, I don't know. so testing. I also think that the network automation is quite a bloated term. It really depends what kind of the environment you, you work in and where do you want to apply network automation. Because if you take a big service provider, that's one domain, a data center is another one. If you are the enterprise network automation person, that's a third one. And 
I think in both or in multitude of these cases, the network automation skill sets are kind of different, if you ask me. So it, it really depends where you're coming from. Right. Yeah, I would kind of, I would kind of tag, al- tag along with that. I would say that from network automation, where is it going? I think for um, at least for a little while, the talk of stuff like the CLI is dead. I just do not see that. I think there's going to be a far too many legacy devices still out there for a long time. I think eventually we're going to probably have more of this kind of Yang-based stuff. My opinion, though, is that we do have to have better tooling generally um, for Yang because it can be pretty complex. I know um, Roman works with Nokia. I think Nokia have got a better implementation of Yang. Things like present working context and stuff like that, these just make your job easier. I think more vendors need to kind of... Vendors need to lower the bar for type of Yang stuff because if you're an expert in it, it's not too bad. But for people who are just learning, who are also maybe balancing other skill sets are trying to learn, it's a lot to handle, I think. Um, so I do think that eventually... Um, Things will go that way, but I do I do believe that it will. You need better tooling overall to make that jump away. All right, thank you, John. Uh, John Soham, do you have any other follow up questions? On- no, uh, it was informative. Thank you. All right, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, Bars, I'm adding you back. Once you are on the speaker panel, you should be able to unmute yourself at the at the bottom. Oh yeah, yeah, I found it. Thank, thanks, Dimitri. Uh, can you guys hear me? Yeah. Uh, so I had a couple of questions. So I was working with Ansible, and I also came across Nornet. So this is a question for everyone. Like, uh, what do you guys think is a better tool of automating? Is do you guys think Ansible is better or Nornet? I'll leave that to Dimitri. Dimitri, on you go. I, I I think I think it really depends on the on the person who is doing automation. So I see people um, kind of have be divided into two almost different camps. So people who want to start using some kind of tool like Ansible, and then people who want to learn programming language. I think it's a really broad topic, um, and I really don't want to spend the next thirty minutes ranting about Ansible. But I I think the short version of it would be. I think it's totally fine to start with Ansible, and if it solves your problems, it's perfectly fine. Uh, continue using it and keep keep um, building on top of it. Um, that said, you you might reach a point where it's just not really enough for you, and you start you have a need to let's say implement additional functionality, let's say additional modules and stuff like that. And where that point comes. Um, this is where, from my perspective, it becomes a little bit more problematic. And I reached that point pretty fast for some of my projects. And it's a, and I just asked myself a question, well, why do I keep using Ansible if I, re, I have to re-implement some of the stuff in Python code anyway? Um, there are some like other big differences, like what kind of performance you can get, what kind of flexibility you get by, by selecting the tool. Uh, so, but I am really biased because I'm well known to to hate Ansible on social media. So, um, so yeah, my personal advice would be not to limit yourself with uh, with something like Ansible. But it really depends. Like I have no problems with people people using it and building on top of it. Um, John. 
Uh, yeah, um, my opinion on Ansible versus Normier, I did a video about this on YouTube for CBT Nuggets. My general stance is that both can work, um, but it does depend on what you're trying to do. The analogy I like to kind of draw is that when you're using Ansible, it's like kind, it's like trying to do gymnastics in a suit of armor. It's just not very flexible. You're going to hit a brick wall pretty soon, especially when you're dealing with if you're dealing with Yang data, which is really, really nested, and just things like that, it becomes just cumbersome trying to deal with this in Ansible. Python is just much, much easier. Again, I understand that for people who are just beginning, um, Ansible is very human-readable. It's quite easy to use. But I almost find like it's easy to get started, but once you get beyond the first month, it actually becomes harder because everything becomes really quite cumbersome. Um, I tend to think that if you can go a route of Python, Nornier type thing, I think you'll be better served, generally speaking. I think if you want to get into network automation really seriously and go for it, you should be looking to be able to be proficient in programming anyway, in which case you want a programming language like Python and not being relying on YAML to implement the actual logic of your script. But again, both are valid depending on your use case. Thank you, John. Carol? Play the fifth. No, I, <laughs> stay no, out of trouble. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think Ansible is like a good gateway drug for automation. But I, I mean, I don't know. I have the same feels as you that I hit walls with it very quickly that are very easy to do just like directly in Python. And yes, Ansible ecosystem changes a lot, and, which is like good because they're you know, improving things. But I don't know. It. I don't love it. I love it for Linux boxes, like for. You know, systems administration, I use Ansible all the time, but just in the context of networking, I'm not a fan. Yeah, that's what I'll actually add on. I remember asking Carol for advice about how should I manage um, my Cumulus um, um, labs. If anyone doesn't know, Cumulus Linux is a networking device, but it's pretty much like a server. And Carol actually surprisingly recommended that I use Ansible because it does work very well. And in that context, for Cumulus devices, which are server-like, just automating flat files and restarting services, Ansible works great for that. For networking logic, um, it's just it's not the best, in my opinion. Um, but yeah, for just a second, what Carol said, and server administration, Ansible works pretty well, in my opinion. All right. Um, Bars, you said that you have a couple more questions, but let, let, let me pause here for a second because we have other speakers and then we'll get back to you uh, once we hear. So, sounds good, sounds good. Yeah, right. that sounds thank good. You. Thank you. Thank, thank, thank you, everyone. Yeah. Yanis, uh, you are next, so let me add you here. Hello. You should be able to unmute yourself, Yanis. Okay. I think I got it. Yep. Can you hear me? Yep. Okay, so hi, everyone. Uh, what I wanted to say is, uh, I, I want to comment on something. It's not really a question, but everyone can comment on, on that. Uh, I see uh, there are a lot of uh, different philosophies when people are trying to approach automation. And mostly we, mostly we see that kind of uh, lone hero concept where... Uh, Yanis, I'm sorry. There is some kind of technical issue on your side, so I will have to, um, I will have to move you... To, to listener because it's really hard for for uh, folks to understand so I will move you to listener if you could try figuring out the issues and then 
send send a message in the chat that will promote you back. Uh, but for now, uh, yeah, it's, the audio is pretty bad. Um, sorry for that. So I had to, I had to move you. Okay, no problem. Uh, Papri, uh, let me add you back here to the panel. Papri, you're with us. Feel free to unmute yourself. Yeah, uh, quick one. Uh, someone mentioned Cumulus and um, that um, Carl recommended Ansible to manage Cumulus. Is the um, actually the Ansible module shipped to the server to the Linux Cumulus server, or is it actually executing in the controller box? Sorry, can you say that again about Cumulus? Was that about? Like you know, if you manage in a server, a Linux server, right? As CentOS, for example, doesn't matter. With Ansible, you you ship a module, right? And the module is actually executed on the Linux server. Whereas with network devices, let's say Cisco or Arista, uh, you actually execute the module locally. You don't ship it to a temporary folder on on Linux server. You execute it locally, and then you you create the connection from the local server controller uh, back to the switch. So for Cumulus Linux, are you actually shipping the module and executing remotely, or you still treat it as a standard switch? It just treated as standard switch. Um, okay. You basically just send commands to the... You basically transfer the file, re replace the file effectively um, in the location where it was, like Etsy, FRR.routing, and then you just restart the services. Um, I think... I'm not sure if there actually is... Because I do believe that Ansible does have a module for... Um, the NCLU, which is the network command, I can't remember the actual acronym, but that's Cumulus's command line. They actually have a module for that, but as I'm aware, um, that actually isn't item potent, so I don't use that. But the way I use it is just um, basically replacing files and restarting services, uh, flat files, and that is just like a, a regular switch, as far as I'm aware. Okay. Right. Uh, Irene, uh, you had more questions, so let us hear them. Uh, so yeah, this is uh, this is not a, like a question, but I just want to know your opinions. What do you think uh, machine learning has a scope in like coming network, like networking? How is it evolving, evolving towards getting ML and AI into it? And uh, Dimitri, like I've recently read about Cisco, you know, getting AI ML solutions for networking. So do you think that is something we should be looking forward to in the next couple of years? Uh, that's a tough question. Uh, I think. I think not necessarily as the like end users or developers. I think it's very immature space yet, but there is a lot of interesting developments I have seen, well, already external and internal as well. Um, the, it's and the reason why it's an interesting area is because we can gather so much data about our network, like I know, netflow data, let's say up dynamics data, um, some other let's say data from stealth watch and some other systems and really depends on the vendor's logs right and technically there is nothing that stop us to process that like any other big data problem and to find patterns there and find anomalies and find find other things uh, with which machine learning can help or um, i was actually fascinated when i learned about the uh, you know Encrypted tra traffic analytics, which was released a couple what, last year or two years ago, I don't remember already, where we where it was possible to identify malware in encrypted traffic. I think I think there is a lot of uh, interesting 
products that can be done in this space, a lot of research that can be done in this space, that is some of which is already undergoing and some of which is not. That said, I'm not sure really that anyone does necessarily need to uh, like spend time on learning that. It's a really special area, quite big area on its own. Um, that is really not like not realistic to cover unless you do that full time. So yeah, that's that's my opinion. That I think it's interesting. It's just I wouldn't spend my development time on learning that at the moment. Yeah, I don't have much to add. And by way of how much AI and ML I expect to see in the industry, um, I do think it's probably likely that it's going to become more and more prevalent. I actually had to do an AI module for university. <laughs> um, it was quite interesting, but I don't really see, at least in this stage, the correlation to how I could apply it to networking, at least right now. It, well, at least at my level right now, I'm assuming people could probably develop some pretty cool stuff. As of right now, the only thing I'm aware of really is what Dimitri was talking about, the encrypted malware detection. You can pretty much look at the signatures effectively and they can still detect malware even if the traffic is encrypted. Stuff like that, I can see that becoming more and more advanced. Um, how far it goes, I really I really don't know about that. All right. Papri, uh, Aryan, do you have any other questions or comments? Uh, that's all I got. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Papri, do you have any, anything else you want to add? No, I'm, I'm cool. Thanks. All right. Um, Thank you for your participation uh, from Yanis. Let me read what he wrote since he couldn't uh, couldn't uh, say it uh, verbally. So he mentioned the following: No one can develop an, uh, can develop everything on their own, and to take advantage of having a community around automation, people need to learn to collaborate. Um, one of, oh, and sorry, I, I read it in, in the wrong order. One of the skills people will need is develop their collaboration skills for development. Yeah, I think I, I think it's a it's a nice point, Yanis, and that's that's definitely true. And it's also a challenge. Uh, I see that people like doing this like island salt automation and collaboration is really not on the forefront of this. Um, I my personal view is that we need to start treating anything that we do in network automation space like we would write a software, like proper software development with all of the processes that involve um, not and not kind of develop that in, in in the silo on your own computer and then run and then share with others, but more of implying collaboration from the very beginning. So, and that, that could mean a number of things. This could mean a good documentation. This could mean establish CI/CD pipelines so that other people can easily understand if they use their code conforms some kind of policies or uh, some kind of best practices that you establish. Uh, that that you have tests that you can better uh, better uh, refactor code and then you know. It so, will be so much easier to collaborate. We, we're still very much behind network automation space and all of the software development practices. Um, and then that kind of goes hand in hand with any kind of collaboration that's going on. I think we as in like, industry will learn that eventually, but it will take time. Um, what are other opinions? 
the panel. Yeah, I tend to agree. I think that um, collaboration is super important. Um, I think what Dimitri was saying about software development, it does seem to me, at least generally, that people in software development and systems and stuff, they seem to be a lot more advanced um, with these practices and workflows. It still seems like network automation is a little bit baby steps right now. I do think we have to definitely improve collaboration and stuff. And this is why I do say when people, this almost kind of winds back or circles back to a point about learning Ansible, stuff like this, what you do have to learn these tools in my opinion, because you're probably going to be in a team where you have to work collaboratively and maybe the whole team uses Ansible and you've got your favorite tool. Uh, you just want to use AsyncIO. You might have to give a bit of ground there because to work collaboratively, you might have to be <laughs> working with the tools which the whole team are using. So I do think these things are definitely worth consideration. Um, but I do, I definitely think that networking is really far behind um, the general practices of software development. Carl, any opinions on that? Test, test, test. No, um, I mean, yeah, I, I think that the, the tests and just kind of more mature practices around like actual building pipelines and linting and testing um, are really important. Um, yeah, but I gotta go. Uh, it's been fun. Yep. See you all. Yep. It's. Uh, I'm, wave, I'm waving like y'all can see me. Uh, yeah, we will we will wrap up here because we are approaching approaching one and a half hour mark. Uh, if there is any last questions, uh, now would be the perfect time as I ask them in the chat or, or verbally. Um, and while that might be happening, John, why, why don't you tell us where people can find you and follow you and what kind of yeah. page they should, should look into when you develop some new stuff? <laughs> well, um, my handle is IPv0. You can get me on Twitter at Twitter forward slash IPv0, pretty much that for everything. That's the same on GitHub. It's the same on YouTube. And I've also got courses available on CBT Nuggets where I teach um, many topics, but also including network automation. Um, so if you're interested in that, it could be something for you to check out. Thank you, John. And I'm Dmitry Figel at TM Figel on Twitter and Twitch. Also with us today, we had Carl Montanari at Carl R. Montanari on Twitter who is author of Scrubly Libraries, and Roman Dodin at NTDVPS, who is automation engineer at Nokia, both of whom unfortunately had to leave earlier. With that, thank you so much for joining us today, and I hope you will join and participate in the next Network Automation Hangout on Thursday at 6 p.m. Central European Time, 12 p.m. Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific, on the platform dogehouse.tv.